This is episode 11 of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up, Adidas and Under Armour play leapfrog. Your clothing and grocery belong to us. Into the mind of a customer. WWD CEO Summit recap. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris, and I'm joined by a sexy-voiced Jose Chan today. <laughs> Hi, Todd. Hi, everyone. A little throaty sounding. That's okay. We love it. A little, little, <laughs> little different. Um, so let's let's dive in here. Uh, we've got a few topics. We've got a packed episode today, so let's see what we can do in, in, in our allotted time, even though we really don't have a lot of time, but still. Uh, <laughs> So let's dig into Adidas and Under Armour. Uh, they have been um, jumping up and down uh, number two and three positions while Nike has been number one. So we're going to talk a little brand here and a little bit of, of, of why why and how Adidas and Under Armour are, are flip-flopping. Um, and for Adidas, it's been a rough few years, right? Uh, they've been, I guess, struggling a little bit. They aren't what they were maybe 10 years ago, but they've... They've been trying to reinvent themselves a little bit and to establish some new ways of operating that will benefit them from a uh, from an earnings perspective and just in general with their brand. People make people want to buy their stuff. And we've also seen Under Armour doing the same thing, right? So Under Armour um, really making an effort with some of the apps, like um, some of the the running apps. Is it Map My Run? I think is also part of Under Armour now, and also establishing some. Interesting, I don't want to say gadgety type things in their stores, but ways that they can engage their customers from an experience perspective to be able to to really uh, latch on to the Under Armour brand. So I don't know, Jose, do you think any of this stuff has been paying off for Under Armour? And do you think what do you think Adidas has been doing to to kind of take that 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 big number two position right under under Nike? That's a really good question, Todd. So, look, if you think about it. Um, you're talking about two brands that are based in two different countries, right? So you, Under Armour is playing on its home turf and they've enjoyed phenomenal growth, right? So in terms of the way that they've expanded, not only their product offerings, but the way that they utilize their, let's say, brand ambassadors or their or athletes as spokespeople has been pretty remarkable, right? It, it's the way that Nike used to do it. The big difference uh, with under Armour and Nike, and we'll talk about Adidas in a second, is that they've been able to also, because they're a, a relatively new company vis-a-vis uh, -vis Nike uh, and Adidas, is they Wait, Jose, are we all saying it wrong then? When I say Adidas, is it not Adidas? Is it Adidas or are you just being silly? No, it's Adidas. Is Adidas. it really? Because I've yeah. ne never heard anyone say it that way. I guess it's a German pronunciation. So you're, you're being like... proper right now, and I've been wrong this entire time i don't know no, if i could retrain myself <laughs> I, I wouldn't say wrong i mean think of it this i've way. been american i've been very american about how you know about saying adidas so. that's okay i mean look think of it this way <laughs> it's like it's like hermes right people will say hermes but it's actually not hermes it's erm uh hermes well we'll but see we'll see if anyone piece. it makes any comments about this uh after, okay <laughs> this up, anyone corrects me or corrects you or whatever okay anyway go ahead okay so if you think about um, Under Armour, as I was saying, they're, they're a relatively newer company compared to both of these other competitors, and they've been to infuse technology 
a, a lot in with their fitness apps into what they do. So as they're building their organization and growing, they're able to overcome a lot of the organizational silos and at the same time appeal to a younger customer that frankly Nike uh, to a certain extent um, doesn't have. Uh, they have, of course, younger customers, but not as much as Under Armour, right? I mean, if you just, all you have to do is, don't have to be in retail, just look on the street. What are people wearing? Okay, now your question about Adidas. Um, look, they're at least five times as big as Under Armour. They have the, uh, let's say, capital uh, on the back end to compete with Under Armour, and they just need a strategy in the US. But remember, the US is a subsidiary. So with subsidiaries, often the problem is subsidiaries, and I, I don't know uh, how f free they are, but what I do know is to do what they want, that a subsidiary always has to do what headquarters wants. Mm -hmm. So there's always a little bit less flexibility because if the advertising campaign is done, let's say in Germany, everybody has to do part of it and they localize it, but they're not as nimble as an organization in the US as a, let's say, Under Armour would be. So that that gives it a little bit less agility. So what have they been doing right? I think what they've been doing right is they, uh, Adidas has been um, teaming up with Kanye West and making themselves cooler. So rather than just having brand, the traditional brand ambassador athletes, they've gotten, let's say, personalities, if you will, uh, that have um, made it cooler in a way, right? Because after all, not everybody wears sneakers to the gym, right? It's yeah. more of a lifestyle. Well, it's also so it makes it cooler, I guess, right? But it also it's higher risk for them because they're they're attaching their brand to potentially um, something that could go wrong in a way, right? So I, I think when 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 some of these re when some of these retailers, some of these brands attach their name to a celebrity, um, it's there's a lot of risk associated with it, probably. You know, a little less risk with certain types. So maybe if you've got a like a really good basketball player, um, like Steph Curry, for example, and you know mm -hmm. he's you know he know you know he's a pretty he seems like a pretty stable guy, right? People like him. Um, he he's a fantastic basketball player. So yeah, he's going to be in high demand because he's relatively low risk in a way. Um, there is a low chance that maybe he's going to go off the wagon and cause a problem for whatever brand he's associated with. Uh, you get someone like Kanye West, though, you know, he, he let's be honest, he tends to say things that aren't smart. <laughs> <laughs> he tends to do things that aren't smart. He just does that. You know, he, he's he's an he's an odd guy, man. He's just really an odd dude. He makes great music. But man, does he say things that are questionable. So when you when you attach a brand to that, that raises a little bit of risk for them because then they're going to be associated in a way. Right. I mean, they got to be thinking of these things. However, the reward, you know, the the people that associate Kanye West with awesome music and awesomeness, and they are going to associate now that brand that, you know, um, you know, wh whatever brand it is associated with him as being awesome, too. So it, I guess it's a two way street. You know, you're never going to get a, a completely low risk scenario, but it certainly is a little dicey um, if sure. you take someone like a Kanye West. Right? Sure. But if you think about what they've done as part of this comeback that they have, right, mm -hmm. they're why Kanye West? So agreed, sure. Uh, not s as safe as vis-a-vis -vis other, let's say, sure. ath uh, athlete types. He's not an athlete type. He, he's more of an entertainer. So because they've actually, uh, it ties back to their strategy. Because they've increased their collection of streetwear, 
right? Uh, I guess part of the segment that they're trying to appeal to is uh, anyone who would be into streetwear. So I think it, it, it's a good fit in this particular instance. And their whole company strategy isn't Kanye West because they still have uh, partnerships with athletes. So that, that traditional model is still alive and well. But let's say that this is uh, something distinct and different to appeal to a different market, which a Nike, you wouldn't say would necessarily be streetwear, right? You right. don't usually see, or you can't say Under Armour is streetwear either, right? So they're trying to differentiate themselves in a way, not completely, but just enough, I think, to, to get that edginess. And you're right. I think that there is always a risk um, with someone, but then there's always a risk with athletes, right? So for we could take uh, right. Tiger, Tiger Woods. Absolutely. You know, Safest bet in the world, right? Who would ever think that he'd ever be a liability? But remember, a few years ago, um, this whole thing in his oh, yeah. personal life, right? Yeah. Uh, that, you know, caused a lot of people to just drop him. Right. Uh, or Maria Sharapova, another relatively safe bet in the tennis world. Uh, what happens? Uh, found doping. So, and what happens? Gets dropped. So, again, right. it's it's... They're safer than others, but it's like any bet that there's always an element of risk, if you will. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, and and there's no doubt going to be a backup plan for all these guys. And they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll stick around for a while and then maybe cut and run um, when needed. But but the whole point of this is to, you know, is to really say that these types of associations is this part of that three pillar strategy that... um adidas i say adidas you say adidas right um that they've put out there to kind of i guess make those i guess um to grow you know to get to that point that they need to be and one of those is through aligning with um this this kind of open source that they're calling through athletes consumers and partners so sure i think it's cool i mean you know the the other two pieces which are i know i think you may have mentioned these earlier if not there's these three pillars that they've announced speed cities and open source. So we talked about the open source thing and the speed and cities, um, are more classic, you know, classic retail terms in the sense of speed. I'm guessing it means speed to consumer or speed mm-hmm. to speed to market in a way. Right. And then cities, meaning the way that, you know, with the way that they open stores and in, in certain cities or the cities they focus on. Is that how you interpret that, or am I am I off? Yeah, yeah, no, no. Right? I, I would certainly interpret okay. it that way. Yeah. So it's cool. I mean, and, it's, it doesn't seem that innovative, but it seems like it's something. It's almost. I don't know. It seems like almost they're they're doing something that Under Armour did for a while, or that other, sure. you know, that that other retailers have done. So, but it's good. It's good that they're doing this, especially after a whole bunch of bad years. They're um, they're coming back around. Yeah, and and, and look, if we look. Just to add one more piece to, to, to this um, overall conversation. Yeah. If you think of what they're doing, their sales are mostly at least uh, in sneakers, right? And footwear, let's yeah. say. Whereas Under Armour is more the apparel piece, right? So although they are competitors, uh, their bread and butter actually comes from two different places. So I think if anything um, Adidas has been increasing its offerings in the uh, non-sneaker area, right? Uh, to go into more lifestyle, which is what this uh, concept with Kanye West is. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Under Armour, yeah, sure they sell sneakers, but you usually will find them more with 
the, let's say, apparel set, right? That that's really what they're better known for. So it's about it's about the core competency. So I, I guess the, the the meta point of bringing this up, this piece up, is that Adidas is essentially a let's say their spe- the specialty of the house is shoes, and they've gotten into apparel or footwear and gotten into apparel, and that's creating a let's say a bigger halo for them than if they just went for one category right and it, it, they need this is part of the these are the bets that they make on a you know yearly quarterly monthly basis is you know, what what do what do the consumers want they're going to want more athletic apparel they're going to want more um, you know shoes or you know tchotchke type things to to wear on their bodies while while exercising um, headbands you know what is it going to be right and this is the constant guess that they that they have and i think they're using they're definitely using their 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 open source part of it with athletes and partners and stuff to kind of push their agenda to almost make it make the decision for the the shopper the consumer about what they want right sure sure because if you think about it i mean it's not there's so many segments Mm -hmm. and you just have to specialize in a few and i think they're trying to capture more segments than they did in the past yeah. Right. And try to evolve that way is what it sounds like from their overall strategy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think this is a good time to kind of pivot over because we're talking about capturing segments there. Um, kind of moving away from the, uh, the, the, the sports stuff here a little bit, but still in the world of clothing. Um, Amazon, again, another another frequent topic in our in our podcast is is just consuming more and more segments. They are. <laughs> It's just getting ridiculous at this point. So not only are they, you know, are they doing great in general um, with technology and their other their other areas of of brick and mortar retail that they seem to be disrupting, but they're also making an effort now to um, to move into the clothing and grocery space. And they're not even making an effort, but they're making progress. Um, you know, there's there's analyst firms that are now estimating their their clothing and accessory sales to rise. 30 percent uh next year to 28 billion while we've got their former competitors well existing competitors department stores like macy's for example um they're expected to decline to 22 billion so we there's another leapfrog scenario here that we have in a completely different space with amazon now causing a lot of heartache uh and a lot of agita for the department stores that were once thought of as almost untouchable in a way um, and we talked about this last week a little bit about some department store earning issues and just they're experiencing a little bit of problems uh, with their sales right now. And Amazon, uh, once again, with impeccable timing, jumping in here and, uh, and attempting to eat some of the market. Um, and not only clothing, I'm just kind of setting this up for you, Jose, uh, grocery stores, right? So they're also digging into uh, grocery stores and grocery in general, not just stores, but they've got Amazon Fresh, for example. We just got... Um, I just got a letter here to my house the other day saying, hey, here's your, you know, your first order. You can get this off and here's the benefits of Amazon Fresh. You can order now and get it a few hours later. You can set it to arrive tomorrow morning if you want an early breakfast and you don't have the stuff you need. These kinds of really, you know, I want it now concepts, but I don't want to do anything to get it now concept is is something they're really pushing on. So, so we've got Amazon on the clothing side, you know, with the fashion side. Um, we've also got them on the grocery side with the perishables and, and getting into that business. So I don't know, man. 
it's it's impressive. It is, and yeah. you know, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll take a quote from a Fortune article, right, um, with Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. right. So in, in earlier in this year in the shareholders meeting, he said that quote, they are definitely opening more stores. Um, and in these early days, it's all about learning rather than trying to earn a lot of revenue, right? So here he's specifically referencing bookstores and the uh, pop-up shops that they're opening. But to your point, Todd, I mean, look, they're not just doing physical stores. They're also doing experiments. The, the, the meta point here is experiments, whether it's digital or physical, um, with apparel, and with the grocery business, um, in the Wall Street Journal article that we'll put put in the notes, look, they have um, they're looking to be a bigger player in the grocery business, and so right now their market share is 1.1 percent. And to compare and contrast, Walmart has a 17.3 percent market share. Right, mm-hmm. so that 1.1 percent market share, followed by Kroger at 8.9, Albertson slash Safeway Safeway 5.6. And they're, I think, uh, making inroads, given that I never think of them uh, for any type of, let's say, <laughs> uh, groceries. Right. 1.1%. Who is after them? ShopRite, 1.7. HEB, 1.7% of market share. So they're bigger than we think. <clears throat> yeah, so it's, it's, no it's, doubt. it's interesting. And they're going to be very strategic about where they go, too, I think, where they're going to offer they're going to dig into, you know, talk about localized, um, you know, localized shopping in a way. They're going to really be digging into towns, it seems like, not just overall cities, but into towns where, um, because, you know, grocery shopping is a very localized effort, right? You don't, mm-hmm. you don't usually, you don't usually travel over to the town next door, at least in, in kind of, you know, um, in maybe urban areas. Maybe you do, but I mean, usually each town will have their own grocery store and you will go there unless it's really horrible. And I think they're going to kind of look at that and say, all right, you know, what's, what do we have here for competition? And uh, what can we do to, uh, you know, to get people to, to, to try us? Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it just seems like a very different business model than what they've been doing, but it doesn't seem to be a problem for them. You know, they've been yeah. talking about maybe offering not only, not only doing the Amazon fresh, which is essentially the deliver, you know, it's sure. food delivery. It's really what it is. And they're going to um, have their own distribution centers, in essence, um, for, you know, for, for kind of holding the food there. And this is another angle they're going to take is offer a pickup model where if they're not going to deliver it to you. You can go and pick it up from one of their facilities. So make your, you know, make your order online and then go pick it up wherever it is nearby, which takes a little bit of that going up and down the aisle thing away. But, uh, you know, again, this is this is part of Amazon's disadvantage in general here when it comes to both uh, grocery shopping, grocery stores and clothing is that that brick and mortar aspect of it is taken away. And there is talk about them opening some actual grocery stores like the Amazon Fresh stores or whatever they're going to call it, where people can go Mm -hmm. in and, you know, walk around and buy things. That seems to be farther off. But, but, you know, their big disadvantage on both the clothing side and the and the uh, grocery side is that, you know, People aren't getting that. I can feel it. Try it on. 
and then buy it thing. That's a big deal with clothing and accessories. Sure. Something that's going to be on you, you want to see what it's going to look like. And this is where that we talked about AR last week, the augmented reality being a big deal of being able to virtually or, you know, just kind of holding your camera up on yourself and placing a piece of clothing on yourself to see how it'll look. Um, the other angle is for grocery here. Yes, they're not going to be able to walk in down the aisle and pick something up and smell it and feel if it's fresh or not um, or see something that's on the end cap on sale and oh my god that looks good my stomach is telling me to buy that those types of basic things aren't going to be part of that interaction so there's definitely a market here it's just a matter of you know on the grocery side i'm a little bit just a little bit more skeptical into how that'll be picked up from a consumer's perspective not necessarily uh you know from companies or you know educational institutions that are going to subscribe to this just to you know make it easier for them to kind of keep things stocked in certain areas but for people families to actually use this will be a little bit it's a completely different model for people right yeah agreed agreed but but you know what i, I think of it this way to play it back another way is it's kind of like the 7-eleven if you think about it type of model right because as you mentioned yeah. todd um so they plan to introduce convenience stores and curbside pickup, right? But they're going to put their signature on it. So rather than going to the 7-Eleven, um, you could have a physical brick and mortar store where you can pick up the produce, milk, um, and they're going to put their bend on it, which is, so to your drive-in point, they will give you an online grocery order um, that will be bought to your car. And they're even developing license plate reading technology to speed up wait times. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so obviously Amazon has declined to comment on this, but uh, the grocery store project internally is known as Project Como, right? <laughs> and it's uh, and for now, it's apparently uh, slated exclusively for customers of its fresh subscription service, which promises same-day food delivery at set times, right? And so uh, earlier this month, it dropped its uh, annual price for fresh and, and instituted a $15 monthly fee available to members of its $99 a year prime delivery service, right? And yeah. Before that, it was 300 bucks for that fresh service, or 299 to be exact. So it's interesting how they're moving this way, but it goes You mean it was 299 that. flat fee to use it? Yep. Oh, okay. So now it's, I didn't even look like Amazon sent me something about um, fresh. And I remember it being, I think it was extra on top of Prime, right? Is that what you just said? Yeah, exactly. And, 15, yeah, 15. 15 a month. Right. So what's that? Uh, 150 plus uh, 30, 180 mm-hmm. uh, compared to 299. Mm-hmm. But then it, it's that. So it's 180 plus, let's say, 100 bucks, 280. It's still, it's like bundled. <laughs> so yeah. you got Prime and fresh. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're they're you know they're with Prime. They're certainly expanding what what they're offering. I I kind of maybe thought, yeah, maybe not. Maybe I didn't think that. But I was I was kind of hoping maybe that Fresh would be a another perk, a where available kind of perk for Prime members. Mm. Um, but it, I'm guessing there's <clears throat> only so much juice they can squeeze out of the Amazon Prime lemon for their you know. For their subscribers, even though I think I saw God, I saw something about not to talk about Amazon Prime again, but um, twenty percent of the population or something subscribes to it. It's right, something, right. It's That's... something ridiculous. I just can't believe uh, uh, that. But anyway, yeah, it, it's incredible. Uh, 
looking and look recent moves for Amazon <clears throat> and and we'll put this in the show notes. So let's go back to 2013. Drones, drones deliver packages. 2014, the Echo speaker. Right? 2015, opens a bookstore in Seattle. 2016, unveils the first of 40 leased Prime Air cargo jets. Mhm. Yeah. It's unheard of. Not I mean, to mention pop-up I'm, stores and everything. So, well, whatever. Right. Let's keep we'll keep watching this. Watching this unfold here. Um, exactly. But hey, you know, enough Amazon. Enough Amazon. Let's let, let's let's move on to the next thing and dive into the brain of a uh of a of a consumer here. I feel like we need like a graphic where we're, you know, something like we're virtually diving into a brain, but that sounds gross. Um so people do love shiny things and and why do they love shiny things? And this is part of the um research that was done over I believe at Wharton, right? So um it was I'm looking 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 help me here Jose. Yeah. Uh, it was a consumer psychologist. That's it. Vanessa Patrick, right? That's it. Vanessa Patrick. Yeah. So she she's a marketing professor at the University of Houston that uh actually was speaking at Wharton and gave a presentation at Wharton. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think part of it was um you know really trying to understand more about why customers buy or consumers buy, why they care about how things look. Um in a store or whatever it might be and why design why design matters why they behave a certain way when something looks a certain way um it's really kind of squishy stuff like you know it's trying to understand how how marketing messaging you know what retailers say and how retailers look and the aesthetics of things how that impacts our brains kind of like the pleasure centers of our brains. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if it's a dopamine thing where you know dopamine is that um is is what kicks in in our brains when we do something we like or when something you know when something happens that we like it makes us happy. You know, it's that kind of instinctual whoa that that was great kind of thing. I want to do that again. It's like when we eat, right? We eat something that tastes really good when eating a burger. This is great. Dopamine kicks in saying, "Oh yeah, that's great." Confirmed. Um, this is the same thing as kicking in for, for consumers when they're shopping is, oh, that's the store. Look at look at that. Look at how this is. Look at how this is set up or ooh, this smell is great in here. And that's happened to me recently. I actually go to a store and it smells really good. It's almost like that smell is making me want to buy things. Um, I kind of feel like a lemming when I say that, but <laughs> really they're, they're trying to turn us into that in a way. Right. They want us to. To feel that way, they want us to our brains to react that way. Right, but well, I mean, if you think about it, to to paraphrase what you said, so consumers respond very well to design, right? And this is part of the differentiation. So, from just pure business, if you look, go back to Michael Porter's uh, premise, you compete on essentially two things: being unique, which is essentially differentiation, same difference, or two, you compete on price. And though that's the whole premise for this uh, concept. Uh, of what what she's saying, or, or part of it at least, and why is this important? It's so timely, right? Because today retailers are interested in understanding the why behind the consumer behavior. We didn't know about the why, and it, it's sure it's 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 soft, but I think it's important because I, I think we always talk about quant, but uh, quant I think is a way to explain <laughs> one aspect, 
but it's not the full picture, if you will, because I think if you think about it in economics, if we're talking, you know, at the very high <laughs> philosophical level, sure. right? There, there were all these models pre-August 2008 that said that a uh, human being uh, was rational, but we saw how irrational we all became <laughs> in August 2008, right? So right. it wasn't, the models didn't hold up. So we're not you rational. have to- There's nothing about no. us that's rational. Exactly. So, so these are models um, that are built to kind of explain a certain context or reality, whereas the actual reality is quite different, right? And I think the actual reality is a little bit more, uh, let's say, uh, not, not as clear cut is probably the best way to put it, as any model would suggest. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um it's very interesting like looking at some of looking at some of the insight or the the research behind this and and uh some of the the theories on how i guess on how aesthetics impact things yeah beyond pricing i mean we're all influenced by pricing and the basics right the basics are really really important but um it gets muddied when we see things, when we see cool things, when we see things like, you know, this Dyson Airblade stuff. They're talking about how um, they, you know, Dyson looks into the psychology around how, behind how consumers shop and what consumers appreciate and what might get their attention um, and what what types of designs and what types of, of features would make a consumer happy. It seems like basic stuff, but having having an actual feeling of <clears throat> having an actual real understanding of what consumers want and what would make someone's you know um, pleasure center do, uh, you know dopamine pop out of no pop out of nowhere and really um, really can you know control their their wants and desires when it comes to products or when it, when it comes to technology or luxury goods or whatever it might be uh, it's you know it's important for them to get this right yeah and, and dad that Todd, look, I think a concrete example of this. So, so let's apply everything we've talked about, mm -hmm. right? So we've talked about a lot of things that seem, uh, as you said, squishy. Mm -hmm. But let, let's take a real case example that we all understand, right? Uh, the Apple phone, right? Or any Apple product. So the concept that Steve Jobs always had in everything that he ever produced, because he put a stamp on all Apple products during his time and tenure at Apple, right? It was about the simplicity and the beauty of whatever that product was. So in terms of the font that he used, uh, the fonts that were used were deliberately chosen. And you could say many things about Steve Jobs, right? And books abound, articles abound. Yeah. But if you just look at the Apple iPhone that most of us who are listening to this podcast probably have, it's fascinating because it's such a simple design, but it's so functional and it's elegant, right? I mean, if you think about how it's revolutionized the way that uh, we operate on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis, it seems so like normal nowadays, but think about it. You have, and I know a lot of us have protectors on our phones and such like I do, mm -hmm. but it's a very elegant piece of hardware. Right. Wow. And, and what was that change also? There was a, there's a, when the iPhone came out, um, it was a fundamental change, you know, shocking change for many of how we look at phones. And I think it made us all feel differently about phones and smartphones, et cetera, and what their purpose is 
and how they're tied to us, you know, and, and it, it honestly, I mean, the, these phones and, uh, you know, we can talk Apple or probably mostly Apple, you know, Android to a degree now with Google Pixel, but they are designed, yeah, in such a way that are, are beautiful in form and beauty is a thing that is evolving into technology, right? Into sure. things that, that are bound to us in a way outside of clothing. And, uh, people are, people are accepting that and it's becoming, yeah, it's becoming, it's, it's hitting us in the pleasure center, you know, as they would right. say in that article, as the Wharton, as, as some of the Vanessa from, from Wharton was talking about is the, the it's, it's key for, um, these designers of these products and whether it is Apple, whether it's Dyson, who's also doing this, but what <laughs> Dyson's doing this with hair dryers and sure. and fans, you know, making them gorgeous, like, you know, looking at these things and granted, I mean, rational me looks at it and says, you gotta be kidding me right now, <laughs> spending that kind of money on that. But man, it is beautiful. And the functionality is on, is on point too. So yeah, I mean, th this stuff is extremely important and it's going to just keep a you know, where something is not designed as well as it could be or where the experience isn't as good as it could be, whether it's a service or a store or a, a car or a piece of technology um, or food. You know, there's always room for improvement and room for uh, for designers and, and aesthetics pros to take over and, and, and change the market in something, which, sure. which, which affects us as consumers. So it's what we yeah. want deep down. Yeah, to your point, form and function, right? Our MacBook Air. Right again, something we take for granted, but I hate to admit this. Oh, you love Apple it. so much, Jose, don't you? I, I, do. I do. Well, actually, I've been using <laughs> Apple I I since the late, as a computer, uh, when it was a desktop, since yeah. the late 80s, actually. Yeah. I remember my first Apple, uh, Apple device in the 80s, um, but we're, we're dating ourselves. Let's not do that. Okay, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Well, that was fun. Um, let's, let's close this out with... Um, the WWD CEO Summit recap. Um, I know that you didn't attend, Jose, but still, uh, you've been tracking this this summit uh, very closely, uh, as I as I have to a degree. But you've got a lot more data on this than I do. And this, this is one of the this is their biggest. The WWD uh, CEO Summit is their biggest summit of the year. It happens in the fall, pretty much every year. Um, and uh, maybe if you want to offer a little bit of your insights that you've taken away from it, from some of the press coverage you've seen around it, and some of the articles you've seen around it. Uh, to you know, to kind of let our listeners know what what was covered this year, and then we can kind of wrap it up from from there for this week. Sure, absolutely. So look, um, thanks, Todd. Look, a lot of what was said here ties in nicely to what we said in this podcast, right? So, look, retail rules are being broken today. Uh, the old paradigm that existed doesn't exist anymore, right? There was a time when when things uh, we're a little bit more stable, but we're in a period of change. Um, so what are the three key takeaways? So I've read a lot of different things about the summit and the key takeaways, there are three things that you should take away from these, which are one. And remember, let me give you the context. It's all CEOs, right? Talking here. So this is you, you're really getting a view from the top. So we know customers are buying fewer things and they want more experiences, right? And Unfortunately, among those fewer things, one of the losers happens to be apparel. Uh, and we've said this in our podcasts in the past. We've said this in our uh, blogs. People 
are just not buying apparel like they used to. And particularly when you always talk about millennials, yeah, sure, they're one component of the overall U.S. population. But people on average are just buying less. And as we're talking about tech with this last, uh, you know, segment talking about Apple and and such and other, you know, form and function uh, components of tech, uh, that's what people are spending their money on, right? Electronics, technology, smartphones and such. Um, more than apparel. So we're competing uh, for that same dollar in the wallet that other companies already have in the bag, if you will. The other thing as a key takeaway, number two, there are a lot of new retail formats that are changing. So as we talked about Amazon, they're experimenting with these pop-up shops. They're experimenting with convenience stores that you could pick up things in where they could read your license plate for more convenience and so although you know it's kind of like beating a dead horse and talking about those guys those guys are being innovative uh and if we think about it in our apparel context we're also looking at new formats like let's say um pure play retailers going offline so it's not just amazon it's other apparel companies that are going offline and we've said this in the past Everlane opening up stores, going from the pure play online digital space into physical spaces. You have other retailers uh, that have done this. Bonobos, Orby Parker, you could say those in the same breath have done this as well. So there's a lot of new retail formats and experimentation in pop-up shops and actual shops changing, right? So that's key takeaway. With varying degrees of success, obviously. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. The caveat is it's not, not, a time not. of experimentation. Yeah. Absolutely, Todd. You're absolutely right. And then the last one is the key takeaway, see now, buy now, seems to be picking up steam, right? So why is this picking up steam? Well, uh, we talked about this and have written about this. It, Tommy Hilfiger, Burberry, and other companies have showed things on the runway and have been able to pretty much sell it simultaneously uh, in, in let's say, the stores or right after the runway show, same day. Uh, Pre-planned, of course, but think about it. They're trying to reduce the cycle times from what you see on the runway to time in store. So is this just supply chain? No, this has many implications. So as we think about this, here are some thoughts for, for everyone to think about, right? So as retailers, what do we have to do? We need to concentrate on our core consumers while trying to attract new ones, right? And we saw this in our podcast today with Adidas, right? They sell sneakers and footwear, but they're also doing streetwear, another segment that may not be, uh, let's say, as core as their traditional consumer. Then we have to think about our organizations. Are, are organizations agile enough to face the new reality of retail? That means, look, we could see the see now, buy now as a supply chain uh, type of scenario where Zara does this and now we can do this. But it's not just about supply chain. It's actually about is our organization uh, structured in such a way where departments are actually talking to each other, where wholesale is talking to retail, which is talking to marketing, which is talking to supply chain in unison rather than siloed as it was in the past. And it's more about the organization first, followed by supply chain that could help you win the game as a retailer. So 
are we doing this correctly? Are we agile enough? And finally, the basic thing that we sell as or do as retailers, not, not sell, but do, is we sell a product, one individual sale to an end consumer. That's what retail is. That is what retail is all about. An aggregation of that builds a company. So because we're selling products on top of everything else, which is probably one of the most important things that we don't talk about enough, are the products that we're selling individually differentiated enough? Are we doing things, as we talked about in this last segment, that are beautifully aesthetic and differentiate us from the competition, or are we just selling commodities? And if we're just selling commodities, that's okay too, but are we differentiating the experience? What is the reason for someone to purchase from us versus our competitors? Well, awesome. That that does it. That is our episode 11. That was kind of fun. We talked a little bit fun. about uh, Adidas and Under Armour playing leapfrog, leapfrog. Those two, we'll see. We'll see where they're at uh, in another quarter. Who knows? Um, Amazon getting into clothing and grocery. We talked about uh, a little psychology with with uh, getting into the mind of the of the customer and the consumer. Um, a little bit about the WWD CEO. So that was cool. That was fun. Um, future, future episodes, we're going to have some more of this stuff. Some interviews coming up. So we'll uh, we'll shake it up a little bit. And we appreciate everyone's time and, and listening. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. And until episode 12 next week, take care, everybody. Thanks, Jose. Thanks. Bye. Bye.